Our Father in heaven, it's been our experience that when your holy word is joined by the power of your Holy Spirit, we understand we have power in our lives for our hearts and our minds to be changed. And we see more vividly the glory of God. We have your word in our hand right now, Father. Send your spirit so that we have your power with us as we examine what you say to us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I know when we get to heaven, we have where the Bible tells us we'll give an account of everything we've done. I really don't want to have to give an account of how many minutes and hours I've looked for things I've lost in my life because Jesus probably has the total, and it's probably an abnormal amount of looking for keys and looking for wallets and looking for on and on and on. Where did I put that paycheck? Even important things. But I fear that I'm not the only one that forgets where they put stuff because Jesus even uses some parables to talk about things that are lost and the joy when you find them. One of the times I remember the most, as if school was out for summer, I was a teacher, and it was just a couple weeks out of school, if that. And I was cooking dinner, and I looked out back, and my dog was tied out back, and the neighbor dog came into the yard. And they were playing, and I cooked for 15 or 20 minutes, looked out, and they were gone, both of them. And I went out back, and there was the leash and the collar with the identification. Well, he'll come back, so I didn't get too excited, and I kept cooking, but he didn't come back like he normally did. So I started searching, and the second avenue's nearby, and I worry about that a little bit. So I looked, and I looked, and I still didn't find him. This was not normal. So I started calling up everybody I could think of. Hey, have you seen my dog? He's running with the neighbor's brown dog. Somebody down the street said, yes, they were both down here not too long ago. So I hightailed it down there. Well, to make a long story short, the neighbor's dog came back and mine didn't. And darkness was falling. And I was very agitated. So I started looking everywhere. I had people looking. I got into my car. Other people gave up. But I wasn't going to give up because this was important to me. I looked all over town at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. By the way, digress for a minute. I might have said this before. I'm getting old, so forgive me if I say things I already did before. But there are an abnormal number of skunks in June at 2 and 3 in the morning in the town of Clarion. They are in every alley and every street. I mean, I couldn't believe it, but I searched through the night. I'm back now. I searched through the night. Morning came. My one neighbor called and said, did you find your dog yet? I said, no, and I'm starting to wonder if I'm going to now. She left for work. She worked in Old City, and she called about half an hour later and said, I took a chance. I stopped at the Humane Society over here at Shippenville. I think your dog's here. So I went, and here a lady found him, didn't know whose it was, didn't know what to do. The only thing she could think of, take him there, and it maybe that I would check there. So the joy that I had after spending all night finding it. So when Jesus talks about losing his sheep and losing some money, I have a sense of what he's talking about, and so do you. You know what it's like. I hope you never lost a kid, you know. But maybe some of you have. you got an amusement parks and stuff and that fear that went through and then the joy when you found your child. Well, we're going to be in Luke 15 today. And if we're running a little bit late, so let me get to the b- bottom line of the sermon. And we've said this before from the pulpit. We've said this before in this church. You've had, heard other pastors say it. But I want to get to the bottom line right now. 
We sang the song, How Deep is the Love of Jesus. I wanted to sing that. That was an old, a song we used to sing years ago, and I love that hymn to remind me of how deep it is. But I want to tell you, I am still working on trying to grasp. What was that we just sang in the song? Why did he, what was the exact words? Why did he pay the price for me? I don't have an answer. I do have that answer. I just can't put it into words yet. But the answer is because he loves us that much. Because his love is that deep. That's why he did that. In Luke 15, well, let's just read the beginning of it. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering all around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, here's the bottom line to the sermon today that I said that people have said before. This is nothing original for me. But there is nothing in the world you can do today to get God to love you any more than he does right now. Any more than he did yesterday and the day before. Nothing. And there is nothing that you can do or you have done that will cause God to love you less than he does today. Because it's not based on you. God's love's based on him and who he is. And we get to really understand that or see it, review it again today in the text. Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors, spending time with them. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, didn't like this at all. They shunned these kind of people. Now, if you're wondering, well, why is the tax collectors thrown in this? Somebody might be a tax collector here today and think, is that bad? Would Jesus not associate with me? Well, back in that day, they had franchises. You know, like you could get a Subway franchise, and you have to follow all the Subway rules and sell Subway sandwiches and so forth, but you can work hard, get creative, and make a profit, make some money. So it was with tax collectors. You could get a Roman tax-collecting franchise, and the Romans said, you collect the taxes that we want you to collect, pass it on to us, and anything extra you get, we don't care, just so we get what we want, what, our fair, what we think our fair share is. So they would, and guess what? They got greedy, and they started really fleecing the people. So the Jewish people, and by the way, the tax collectors were Jewish people. Matthew, who became one of the apostles, is one of them. They were considered traitors because they sold out to Rome. They were considered swindlers and crooks because they were cheating the people. You don't get any lower than a tax collector. I mean, that was, you might as well be a murderer if you're going to be a tax collector. So that's why they're grouped into this grouping. And so Jesus is spending time with them. And he says, this man's even eating with them. So Jesus tells three parables. And it's about how important the lost is to his heavenly father. In fact, it's about the love of his heavenly father. So we'll read in verse 3. Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, now Jesus is talking, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He goes out and he seeks and he finds the lost sheep. 
I put on, I had Debbie put on the front of the bulletin, a picture of a statue. This is maybe perhaps the earliest statue that still exists. It was found down in, down in the catacombs below Rome. And apparently this was a statue that the early church in Rome had used. And apparently this image was very important to them. The shepherd going out and finding the lost sheep and carrying it on his shoulders, which is a picture of what Jesus would be doing spiritually. It's good to know this little fact, too. We see this back in Ezekiel. God said to the religious leaders of Israel, you know, you're supposed to be the shepherds of the people, under shepherds. I'm the great shepherd, you're supposed to be under me. You're supposed to care for the people, for the sheep. But you don't feed them, you only feed yourself. You're not caring for the people, the sheep. There's coming a day when you're not going to be the shepherds anymore. I'll be the shepherd myself. I will come and be the shepherd. You know who that was, right? And that came true. It's Jesus, and here he is, feeding and caring for all the sheep. When someone who is lost, it says, repent, there is what happens? Rejoicing in heaven. This makes God very, very happy. And we're going to see this reiterated two more times. God is extremely happy when one person... So he uses a comparison. we got 99 sheep. That might be all of us. We gather here to worship God. But somebody's lost. Now stop and think about this for a minute. Do you, think, do you believe in your heart that God's pleased when we come together and we sing and we praise his name together? I do too. Which do you think he's more happier about? He gets more joy out of our coming together to sing and to do church and to serve in the way, to have Bible school, to teach Sunday school classes, to clean the windows, all the things we do. Do you think he's happier about us doing that or about somebody in our midst or in our community repenting and come to saving faith and going to be, have a good relationship with him and spend forever in heaven? Jesus makes that pretty clear. What makes God excited and happy? If I can put him... In, you know, in human perspectives. Real quick with the next parable, we don't need to spend any time on it. It's just a re- reinforcement. For suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Whenever one who is lost is found, God celebrates. And so do all the angels gathered with around him. They are aware of every single person. God loves every single person on this earth. For God so loved the world, all the people of the world. How did he prove his love? He sent his only son to come and rescue them. He wants everyone to be found. Praise God, I'm telling you, I am so grateful to God that he sought me. I didn't seek him. He sought me for many years with a variety of ways. He sent Sunday school teachers. He sent a good mother. He sent a variety of people into my life, calling me and seeking me and waiting for the day that I would say yes to him so he could celebrate in heaven. That blows my mind that the day that I said yes, He celebrated that out of the millions and millions of people. He was celebrating that in heaven. 
It's a remarkable thing to think about, isn't it? Well, let's get to the parable of the lost son, known as the parable of the prodigal son. But I want to rename this today, and I'm not doing this originally. I stole this idea from somebody else. But I want to rename this parable today, the parable of the prodigal God. Oh, I got some people that know the Bible frowning and thinking, what are you talking about? Let me come back to that. Now, let me come to it right now. Prodigal means wild, reckless spending. You look it up in the dictionary, that'll be definition number one. Definition number two is it's giving something in a very lavish way. God is prodigal, and he gives us lavishly his love in a way that's unbelievable. In fact, to a person on earth, to human beings, we could say he's wildly spending his love. He's recklessly using it. He should be using it in a better way. Let's get a grip on that. In verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, don't let it get lost on what's being asked here. You didn't get your inheritance till the person died. This young person, and we've heard many young people, maybe you were one of them in your life, say, you know, I don't want to wait till I'm old. I want to go see things now while I'm young and I can get to places and I can do things. I want to have fun now. I need my money now. I don't want to wait till you're old, Dad, or till I'm old, till you're gone to do this. What a slap in the face. What an absolute slap in the face. In other words, he's saying to his dad, I am more interested in me having fun than you being alive. I'd just assume you were dead and I'd have my money now. In fact, in an essence, you're dead to me now. Just give me my money and let me go. Now, Want to look at the Father's love? Here's the first glimpse, how lavishly he's pouring it out. Because I'm afraid if it was me, at least for the bulk of my life, I'd have said, buddy, there's the door. Okay? And there's three cents laying on the dresser. You can have that. There's two sons. The the Jewish rule was the oldest son got a double share. So that means two shares for the oldest son, one share for the youngest. So two-thirds, one-third. He divides his stuff, he divides it up between both of them right then. So I imagine he deeds over to the older son property and stuff. He must have to liquidate the other third. Some way he has to turn it into cash because we see that he gives the money to the younger son. Is that the loving thing to do? Where's the tough love that you gotta have at times? The father sometimes, even when it hurts him dearly. He's willing to let us go out and learn the lessons that we need to learn. And then we're going to be brought to a choice somewhere along the line. When we hit rock bottom, will we realize our mistake or we continue to despise our father? So sometimes the loving thing to do is is just say, okay, you're going to have to come to this decision on your own. I'm not making you. Well, it was not long after that, in verse 13, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. To a Jewish person, the most disgusting animal to work with would be a pig. And he's not only feeding them, he's wishing he had some of their food to eat for himself. Imagine how rock bottom he hit. I've seen it in my day, I haven't for years, but my granddad used to have some pigs, and there was just what we called the slot bucket. And it was just everything you could imagine thrown in there, and the pigs loved it. But it about made me sick looking at it. Can you imagine wishing you had that to eat? So he comes to his senses in verse 17. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and I'm starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to the father. I don't know that he's repenting here. I don't know that he's sorry. I know that he's just finding this is the only solution to his problem he can think of. But he does start reasoning and he sees his predicament. Isn't this something? My father's servants have life much better than I do. They're much better blessed than I do. I would trade places with one of my dad's servants at any time. And so it is with somebody who's lost. God's seeking them the whole time. But they come to a point where they realize that they're in a bad predicament and they need somebody, some way, to be saved from the predicament, somebody to rescue them. So he starts back home, and I imagine he's rehearsing that line over and over and over again and thinking, what's going to happen when I get there? Will Dad see me and get out to 22 and start blasting away? Will he come up to me face to face and say, you got your nerve coming back here after the way you treated me, how badly you treated me? What will his father do? And I imagine this ran through his mind. I imagine he thought, boy, I wish I had another way. I wish there was some other way I could think to keep from starving to death. But I'm going to give this a shot. So he rehearses his line. But look how the story surprises him. But he was still a long way off. And his father saw him. They had watchtowers back at that time uh, where the owners would often or send their sons up to the watchtowers to look to see if any enemies were nearby while the workers were out in the field and so forth. So his father might have been up in there, but he has a heart. Knowing the description of this father, he's probably wondering, is today the day my son's coming back? Never giving up hope for him. Always wishing that this would be the day that he would come back. So his father sees him a long way off, and he's filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Whoa, I didn't even get to say the lines I've been rehearsing. He didn't get to say a word. The father came and said, I don't care. You're back. And he hugs him and he kisses him and he loves him. Did he, did he deserve to be loved? No, he deserved what most of us would have done. Shot him with the 22 or told him to hit the road. Okay? But that's not this loving father. This loving father is excited and thrilled and joyful and happy. His son's coming back home. Listen, folks. I don't care what you've ever done in your life. Don't ever let anything you've done in the past keep you from an experience in the love of God. 
I know we've been in a series on discipleship, and we teach that downstairs in Sunday school, and that's important because Jesus says, go out and make disciples of people and teach them to obey everything I taught. And sometimes we get busy at doing that. I'm guilty of this, that we forget to teach them, but let's not be judgmental on people. Let's tell people more so. The beginning of the story is how much God loves you. God would do anything to have you come to him. He would have anything to he would do anything to have you repent and come to him. He would have his own son killed and suffer on a cross if you would come to him. That's how much God loves us. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn anyone. I come to rescue you. I'm here because I'm sent by my Father. God loves you and he's seeking you. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he said to his apostles, who are supposed to pass this on to everybody else, God wants to seek the lost. Now, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you get to be my arms and legs. You get to go out and seek those, help God in this effort to go out and find those that are lost. Because what happens if somebody would happen to repent and come back to God? There's going to be a celebration in heaven like you wouldn't believe. The son got to say his line then, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. When people come to God with humble like that and say, God, you know, I did something terribly wrong. I, I, I don't deserve anything you want to give me. I'll take, if you could let me into heaven, I'll take the lowest spot up there. I'll be everybody's servant if I could just get to be with you. I wonder how God responds to that. Well, here's, look at verse 22. But the father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, probably his own robe. Son took all his stuff put it, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. A ring, probably the signet ring that would be dipped and waxed and documents would be signed. Only the owner and his sons could legally sign the documents, saying he has full legal authority in his family. Put sandals on his feet. Servants didn't wear shoes. This is no servant. This is my son. Full status. He has full legal status and full representation of this family. My son's back, and I'm celebrating. I'll have none of this. You're going to be back and be a servant. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for you to come back home, and I am so grateful today. So bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. This just gives us a glimpse, but it's a powerful glimpse at how much our Heavenly Father loves us. And those Pharisees and religious leaders, they should have been praising God that God sent His Son to try to bring the good news to those people who were sinners and who they were lost. But see, these religious leaders, they didn't want any part of them. They weren't following the rules that they had set up. They weren't doing religious the way they wanted to. They were unclean, disgusting people. Oh, but wait a minute. There's lots of churches and people today that get judgmental about people, and I really don't. I know we're supposed to pray for all people, but I really don't want those people here. I don't want them to come. I don't want to have to offer that kind of love and compassion and so forth to those people. Well, then we become, instead of the prodigal son in this story, we become the Pharisees, don't we? We become the older brother. 
Well, I imagine in this story, though, the older brother is going to say, oh, my dad's been waiting for this for so long. He's so happy. This is the happiest day in my life, too, because my dad is going to be thrilled to death that my younger brother's back. What a great day this will be in our house. Now, wait, maybe I have that wrong. The older brother, or meanwhile, the older brother in verse 25 was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back and safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders. Listen, all these years I've been teaching for you in this church. All these years I've helped do this and I helped do that and I helped do this. Where's my party? And see where my eyes are at? They're on myself. I don't care anything about what makes God happy. I got rights, you know. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be put lower than somebody else. You're celebrating somebody. And he went out and did all kinds of things. That guy stole a car once. This person uses the worst language in gospel. And I even heard he does, did drugs before. This person did that. Look at me. It's so easy to become that oldest child, isn't it? It just comes natural to us. God forgive us for that. God forgive us for not being mindful of what brings Him happiness and joy. It's Him getting to show His love because that's who He is. He's love. Well, let's jump to verse 31. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he was found. A couple applications as I close, because I know it's getting a little bit late. I don't care what you've ever done. God is looking for people to repent, to turn to him, and who want to have a relationship with him. And wanna, want, he wants to be your God, and he wants you to want him to be his people. And so wherever you're at, if you're a long way off from God, or if you know somebody that's a long way off from God, here's the good news. You'd start taking two steps towards the Father, and He comes running to you. And He'll throw His arms around you, and He'll kiss you. You don't even have to get there and say, I'm throwing myself at your mercy. I'll take the lowest spot in heaven. It doesn't. You don't need to do that. Your Father's been waiting and waiting for you to want to come back home and be with Him. So that's one application is don't let anything you've done stop you today from having that relationship with your father. You don't need to account for it. Jesus said, I took on all your sins in the cross and they're buried in the deepest part of the sea where nobody will ever find them. If you have any inkling of wanting the blessings of having a relationship with me, come. Well, what about I haven't been able to do this, this, or this? I'll teach you. My burdens are light. I'll show you. You come and say, you're going to trust me and have a relationship with me, we'll work on you then. I'll start working on you the rest of your life to make you into my image. You just got to trust me. Just look upon the cross, and that should get rid of your guilt. And then start practicing, meditating on how much the Father loves you. So there's 
a second application that we'll close with. If that makes the Father that happy, for someone to come to the lost, or someone who's lost to come home, then wouldn't be, that be one of our top priorities? If we can make God happy by somehow investing some kind of time, energy, money, some of our life into doing that, and you know what? Here's what the world's starving for. They're starving for the very thing I told you today, that God loves them so much that it didn't matter what they'd done in their life, that he loves them just as much as if they hadn't have done it. He, nobody could change how much he loved you. If we could somehow just share that message with people, and then if they say, well, I want to know more about him, I want to go see this God who loves me that much, then we can take them the next step. But the first step is for them to see, I, I'm deficient without God, and I didn't know God loved me that much. I thought I had to clean up my act. I had that mentality once. I, I, when, I thought I would like to start going to church, but I'd probably have to quit smoking before I do. So I wouldn't go to church for quite a while because I thought I had to clean up my act to get here. I didn't understand that God was just waiting for me to come as I am, and he would start working on me once I got there. That's the message that we have to take out. Meditate, pray on it, think on it, how much God loves you. We don't spend enough time doing that. We're quick at other things in the church of trying to straighten out society, and and there's important things, but there is nothing as important as sharing with one another and getting a grasp on how deep the Father's love is for us. And anytime you're just not sure, think of Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. This was God coming to rescue you. And then take this good news to the rest of the world. I mean, in your conversations, wherever you're at. I'm so grateful today that God loves me as much as he did. Oh, I am so thankful that God is not holding me accountable for this. I'm trying to repent. I've asked him to help me send his spirit. Whatever it is, you're with somebody and you say, you know, it's the power of God that gets me through this right now. I couldn't do this on my own, but he loves me so much. You can find ways without coming off as pushy or arrogant, as religious, as judgmental. You can find ways to talk about God if you really want to. For his enjoyment, for his joy, for his happiness, I pray that we would do that.